0: thank you jacob it's good to be with you this morning i'm kurt parker if you would turn in your copy of god's word to first timothy chapter four while you're doing that as jacob mentioned in his prayer i want to take a minute to um, just say as well psalm 122 gives us a pretty good idea of how we should be praying for israel right now it says pray for the peace of jerusalem for peace in her homes and her gates and when we think about peace we think not just peace right now from the war that's around her but peace with God uh, a relationship fully with this, with the Messiah. So if you're unsure how to pray I just want to make sure and encourage you don't don't buy into the nonsense that comes down from Washington from some and from uh, the idea even from some believers that somehow Israel is not important she is still as important the Lord says very clearly if the day ceases and the night ceases so I will cease my relationship with the one I've chosen and and it's so important for us to remember that we're in because she has been temporarily grafted out and someday she's going to be the most important thing when the church is raptured she will move into the forefront and so i want to pray just for a minute those specific things that uh peace inside her gate so if you bow with me as we think about the loss of life we think about wisdom there for israel's leaders let's pray lord we thank you today for a time of uh really cleansing as we come and pray and as we uh, lift up songs of worship to you where we confess our sin, where we get right with you from the, the dirt of the weak. And Father, I think today, as all of us are, the sorrow of the loss of life on in Israel from attacks from her enemies, you have strong words to say about Iran and about Syria and, and the punishment that is to come. It's not ignored by you, nor is it passed by. These things must be, wars and rumors of wars and and then the end is going to come and church is going to be gone and israel will be in the forefront and father we're grateful for that and we pray now as psalm 122 instructs us for the peace of israel Uh, not just peace from the war and wisdom for her commanders and her leaders to crush those who who persecute and destroy them but also a draw to the messiah may those messianic churches in israel now be very clear about their message and help it to go out in clarity uh, that uh, many can come to faith. We pray this all in the name of your Son Jesus, and for His sake. Amen. To save our time together, I'd like you to turn to First Timothy chapter four, verse fourteen. If you're not being with us, we are in a continued study through First and Second Timothy and Titus. Guidelines for public worship. We're in First Timothy four now. And really starting in verse 9, pursuing godliness and then success from God's perspective. So an idea of understanding what it looks like to be godly and then what success from God's perspective in ministry actually looks like. It's very, very simple as we saw last time. But let's look, if you would, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. We'll read through verse 16. It was right here towards the end of the chapter. Verse 14 says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Verse 15, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Let's stop right there. We've been talking, as you know, over the last couple of uh, weeks about spiritual gifting. Last time we spent a lot of time talking about it. There's a great illustration uh, about spiritual gifting and its part inside the church and how it ministers to one another. Uh, Several years ago, two students graduated from Chicago Kent Law School. The highest-ranking student in the class was a blind man named Overton, and when he was awarded uh, the honor, he insisted that half the credit should go to his friend Zach. He, they had met one another when, at school in their first year when the armless Mr. Kaspazak had guided the blind Mr. Overton down a flight of stairs. This acquaintance ripened into friendship and a beautiful example of interdependence. The blind man carried the books, which the armless man read aloud in their common study, and thus the individual deficiency of each was compensated for by the other. And after their graduation, they planned to practice law together, which they did indeed do. I looked that up, that was too amazing. And I think it's probably not a better example apart from the biblical text of of the actual snapshot of the reality of spiritual gifting in the church and what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to be an avenue by which people, you are ministering to people through your gifting and the Lord looks great and his Holy Spirit looks alive in the church. And we've seen a lot of that and it's so important for the proper functioning of the body in a healthy manner. And that's where we ended up in our study last week. In verse 14, we read this part. We said, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. And we saw that in essence, that was principle number one and number four in success from God's perspective. For the faithful minister is going to be a ministry done according to spiritual gifting. Not according to someone who came before you. Not according to someone you really like and you wish you could do it like they could do it. But specifically like the Lord designed you. And we saw that package last time and we'll look at it just briefly today. We'll go through all of that. But Timothy is in a difficult ministry. You know this as we've looked through this. Uh, he's in a hostile environment. Uh, the Ephesian church hasn't called him. They didn't want him, and they don't want to hear what he has to say. And so he is in a very difficult spot, very much like some pastors today will be in their churches as they as they pastor. And he is standing in for a giant in the faith, the Apostle Paul, and he's struggling. And during uh, Timothy's tenor, tenure here, there's, it, it was difficult. And Timothy said, because we know this from what Paul is saying to him, I don't need this. I can't handle this. It's not going anywhere, and I'd like to quit. And Paul is trying to strengthen him. So he says these very important words, but don't seem to be uh, that important. It seems like he could really affirm Timothy in other ways, but here's where he knows the power is, because he knows Timothy's not going to be successful from God's perspective, trying to do things in the flesh or by power of personality and somehow force the church back where it needs to be. So Paul is reminding him of the real power that's in him, so he gives him a command, and he says, do not neglect. And the idea there we saw last time is is not to be careless with or make light of or disregard his spiritual gifting. This is where the power to do what you don't think you can do is going to come from. And Paul, in essence, says, Timothy, God chose you for this ministry. He gave you this desire, and now what is he to pay attention to? He's supposed to pay attention, it says, to the spiritual gift within you. And we saw over uh, numerous weeks as we talked about this and looked at other passages which help the Bible explains the Bible. It simply means a channel by which the Spirit of God ministers through you to other people. And we looked at a number of passages to help us have a biblical understanding of the nature of spiritual gifts. And we saw from 1 Corinthians 12, 4 and following that, and relating to spiritual gifts of the Spirit, in the church there is unity that's within the Spirit and within the Lord and within God, and diversity within the varieties of gifts and the varieties of ministries and the varieties of outcomes. And we saw from Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 and following that God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So God has gifted you and then given you a measure of faith so that you can, in that faith, act on those giftings. And he's given it as he has allotted it, and it's according to his own purposes. And this is the faith God gives to operate the spiritual gifts he bestows. And so this is what is lagging in Timothy. He's not exercising the faith it takes to get the gifts going in the church, and that's the difficulty, and that prompts Paul's warning. And he obviously doesn't feel he has what it will take to function, where God's placed him, and to supply, most importantly, to the church what the church needs through Timothy's specific gifting, and that's the reason why he's there. And and then Romans 12.3 really clarifies that you have the amount of faith you need to be active in your spiritual gift, in the variety of the gift that God has given that's unique to you. And God is accomplishing His own purposes in the church. He's designed it specifically as He sees fit through the giving of the gifts by the Holy Spirit. That sums up a lot of time we spent uh, last time looking at that. And because that's the case... Paul will remind Timothy in the second half of our verse that every gift that's there is there because he's placed it there, and every gift that is there is there because it's pleasing God to do it, and it's there to be used by God to minister to the body of believers. And we have that reminder, really, from our illustration from Overton and Casper's act, that that there's this interaction there with one another, there's this codependence, there's this interdependence. And we're diverse, and we're uniquely made for specific ministry, and the Lord's placed you in the body of Christ and equipped you with the measure of faith necessary to animate your gift. And uh, they were given to minister to one another. It's always about the church and edification of the church, not the person. To create a community, to create a body. These are all words the Scripture uses to describe uh, the body of Christ, which is interdependent and concerned about each other's well-being and meeting their needs. And then again, we saw from Romans or 1 Corinthians 12, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and it would just follow with that wide variety of gifts and combinations distributed among believers. There's going to be varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And so you've been specifically gifted, and with that specific gifting that's just, just unique to you, there's going to be ministries that are going to occur that only you can do, and that you can accomplish like the Lord wants them accomplished in the church where you're serving. And then we saw there are varieties of effects, and that just makes sense, doesn't it? If there's a special package of gifting given to each individual believer, and there's a whole bunch of different ministries going on that edify those in the church and make the Lord look great, then there's going to be a lot of outcomes. And that that is the inner game. uh, That's the outworking. That's that's the product of uh, the ministry that you do. And for Timothy, uh, the exercise is going to include, as we saw, the reading and exhortation and teaching. And then we saw the outcome should be Love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. All those things that we've looked at in the previous four chapters. Now, Paul says, but the same God who marked this works all things in all persons. So he causes it all to function. He gives the power to achieve results. The literal translation of that word is God energizes it all. When we're functioning as we should, he energizes it all. And he isn't wasting any empowerment. And Paul is calling Timothy back here. Paul knows that Timothy knows all of this, as does the church, because Paul has taught both. And the general principles that God is at work in his church through the spirit of the risen Christ. And each of those varied gifts and ministries and outcomes reveal a single purpose of the Lord, and that is to equip and minister to the church and have it work together just as it should, just like a physical body. And so then when Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, don't neglect the spiritual gift within you, he's really saying to Timothy, you really can't sit this one out. It's it's not possible for you to be in fellowship and also sitting out and not using your spiritual gifts. Of course, that's a very broad application, not just to Timothy, not just to those who lead through the pulpit. Paul says, you're going to need to function this way. Now, now we see that and we're reminded of, of how the Lord equips and works through His gifts and, and everyone's connected here, and then um, our focus today is, is going to be what I told you. We took the last two weeks, last week and this week. Last week we talked about spiritual gifts so we could be clear what that looks like. And then we talk, we're going to talk today about the last part of the verse. Look back at verse 14, 14 if you would. Um, he says, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, and then this part, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. And I wanted to take a time to look at that just like I wanted to look at spiritual gifts because a lot of confusion in the church and it's really messed up, and so we want to be clear about it. And this particular part with the prophetic utterance and the laying on of hands by the presbytery. So Paul says subjectively, he says to Timothy, you're gifted, you're gifted. And he's reminding him that he has what it takes. And it, it's certainly possible that To this statement, in his own mind, he may perhaps months before said, yeah, I thought so too, but now I'm not so sure. And in discouragement and in struggle and in doubt and in the middle of ministry that isn't going like someone imagined it would go, and this certainly applies to Timothy but can apply to anyone in the ministry, the statement isn't foreign to your ears. It's not foreign to the ears of pastors. I, you know, the thought comes in often, I thought you called me to this, I thought you equipped me, and those certainly who just choose the ministry as a vocation, so in other words, it was just one of several things they could do, and they weren't called by the Lord to come do it, they're going to be out pretty quickly, because they just spend themselves physically, because there's no equipping spiritually to do the work. For Timothy, it wasn't a self-choice, and Paul's going to affirm a few things here, and it's going to remind us of where we've been over, uh, back in chapter 3, but... In First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, if you remember, there's some context now for our verse. We're going to look at the, uh, the objective parts of the verse. He says, you've been gifted. Then we're going to look at uh, the whole laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And we're going to look at the prophetic utterance. But let's start back here. Paul says to the church, and to Timothy specifically, he says... It is a trustworthy statement. So this is something bumping around the church. Everybody knows this. It's in the first century church, and it's very important. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. So just in general, he says to the first century church, if you've got a guy in your congregation and he aspires and desires the office of overseer, don't discourage him. That's a good work. And we need more men. It's still the same now. When men men rise up and say, I think the Lord perhaps is calling me into ministry, we affirm that. We want to work in that direction to make sure that's the case for them. And so he says, this is a trustworthy statement. But he uses two words here that are very important. If any man aspires, or origami, that's present middle indicative. It's to reach out after. And the middle voice is always you performing the action. So reaching out after something, to set oneself in order to touch or grasp. The same word we find in 1 Timothy 6, to reach out for money. And there it's in a bad light, but the idea is the same, reaching out for something you desire. And the middle voice indicates its desire is reaching after the object himself. So it's something he says, I see this, and this is something I think that I should be doing. It's a very strong personal desire to reach for that office. And just to clarify, and I'm saying all this because we need to know what's been going on with Timothy, because Paul's reminding him, hey, there's some subjective parts and there's some objective parts to this position that you're in. And so here we see Paul giving Timothy some instruction to the church. It doesn't say anything about what's going on on the inside, it's just what you're doing on the outside, going after something. Someone goes after a position of overseer, we'll see that in a minute, and that's the idea. It works its way out on the outside, desiring to submit to the qualifications, and we took a lot of time with those qualifications these are a standard of godliness that's the same for everyone but for those who serve in the pulpit that's those are non-negotiables that has to be true and any of them that are not true disqualifies him from the position and so here he says listen you're reaching out a guy who desires the ministry is going to desire to bring himself into compliance with those things and it's not going to be a guidance counselor saying to someone hey well your dad's a pastor so maybe that'd be a good option for you and, of course, for sons, lots of guidance counselors have said erroneously to my sons, well, your dad's a pastor, maybe you should be one. Except that's not how it works, Mr. Guidance Counselor. Read your Bible. It's, this is a call from the Lord, not, a, not somebody saying, hey, do what your dad did. And so uh, it's, the idea comes to mind unbidden as well. It's, it's, um, and I would just say, many called men, including me, uh, will say that that was not on my radar. To be here was not on my radar. I didn't get an education for that. I wasn't Doing it. I was working in my church, of course, and I loved those ministries, but I wasn't thinking I'll be leading the church. This came unbidden. And in fact, it came so suddenly and such a change from where I was that I actually went in and spoke to some of our elders at, a, at my home church and just said, listen, this is where I am. And they took me to these passages and made it clear to me what the Lord was doing. But now that he has that longing and he wants to reach out for it, the second part of the verse helps to clarify the intent. It's a fine work he, here it is, desires to do. Epithemeo, present active indicative. This is the tense, voice, and mood of reality. This is what's going to be the reality of your life. He says, uh, um, epi is, is uh, on, on the side of, and thumos is fierceness. So it's the idea of passion. So not only do you desire to comply, but there's going to be a passion for it that you really don't aren't able to explain other than just seeing it in the Scripture. And it's going to eclipse everything else. Whatever it was that you were doing is overshadowed by this consuming desire then to do this job. And it isn't the best three or five or whatever. It's not a close race between a couple of different occupations. It's like whatever you were doing, now that's not important anymore. Now this is the most important thing. And, and the first word has something to do with what's on the outside. The second word has to some, uh, something to do with what you feel inwardly and those two things then come together in this verse that gives you really the embodiment of the full understanding of that desire and what you have here then for Paul explaining this to Timothy as he's sitting here in this church guiding and having to put some guys in place who will lead the church is this is a Holy Spirit given desire to lead the church and pursue it on the outside and be compliant and then driven on the inside with nothing else that can get in between it so it's a question of what you're compelled to do and it appears from chapter 3, verse 1, that the call of God today comes through the Spirit in the desires of the heart. Two strong desires. And these two things are the work of the Holy Spirit, and these two, two desires have really one focus to market, oversee the church. And that's the middle part of the verse. If any man aspires to the office of of overseer, and that overseer is the Greek noun episcope. It's the word for visiting in order to examine, so it has to do with kind of taking a look at something and evaluating it, but it's our word for bishop or elder, and it's used interchangeably, and and the words are used there to refer to one office. We looked at all that, aspiring to this office, something you believe the Lord wants you to do, desiring overwhelmingly and overshadowing this change of priority brought on by the Lord, unbidden. And so again, subjectively, you're doing what the Holy Spirit prompted or bid you overwhelmingly to do, and and you can be sure that this was the beginning of the journey and you received the gift to do it. And so on top of that, we know Paul told the Ephesian church, on top of this calling by the Holy Spirit, he told the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, he said, and he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So here there's this gifting and equipping and placing and then placed in the church. The Lord calls the men out and then he puts them into the church. And what are they supposed to do? Equip the saints for works of service. That's their job. So he equips them to do it and then puts them in a place and the Lord places them as he sees fit. And Timothy and others can see all of that, or or be told all of that, and so then objectively, Timothy, that gift was given you publicly by a prophecy. That's where we are now. So not only did you have you been gifted, and the Holy Spirit has called you, but there was a public part of this whole thing. Look at the last part of verse 14, if you would, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. In other words, with all this other thing, all these other things in place. There's this objective public affirmation of that gift by a direct revelation from God. Now, let's break this down and let's see how this applies to us or how it doesn't apply to us because I think that's the confusing part of the passage. And and now that we have this foundation, look at this first part. It says, bestowed on you through prophetic utterance. So that's an important, uh, a very important phrase. And how did that happen or when? That's the question. And so if you go back to Acts 16, perhaps that's a good reference for us in, in where it may have happened. Because we don't know when it happened. We just know that it happened because Paul says very clearly in the letter to Timothy, this happened to you. So we can be sure that it did. And in Acts 16, 1, and we looked at this passage when we were laying the foundation for this letter. Because we wanted to, I want to give you an idea of who Timothy was. And so this will be a reminder to you. But in verse 1, um, Paul is on a second missionary journey. He's revisiting some churches where he's already been, and Paul it says in verse one, it says Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And verse two, he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Verse 3, Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him, and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were there in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now let's stop right there. We won't take in all of that, but I think you can get the sense of where we're headed. Uh, There's a lot uh, that's unsaid here, so we we have to fill it in with other verses. The Bible explains the Bible. In, In our passage of 1 Timothy 4, there's a lot that's unsaid, so we can look back and kind of see perhaps what happened. And, it, and, of course, we have in place already the desire and the aspiration to the office of overseer. And and so Timothy, who was obviously well spoken of by everyone, because that's exactly what Acts 16 says, for his faith in the Lord. He's a very gifted young man. He had a wonderful heritage uh, with his mother and grandmother being both very uh, faithful Christians. He came from a Jewish-Gentile background, which made him able to reach into both cultures. That's very, uh, very uh, appropriate for Paul, because Paul was going to the Gentiles, if you remember. So here's Timothy, who has that connection with them. So he's this ideal young man who must have had, as we saw already, a desire for further ministry. And so he's uh, Paul wants to take him along. And, and what an opportunity that is for Timothy, if you think about it. I mean, to travel with and be discipled and instructed by this powerful preacher and church planter. And, and, beloved, it doesn't say this in Acts 16, but we have it filled in for us in 1 Timothy 4.14. The Spirit of God spoke in this transition time from the Acts of the Apostles into the time of the church age and made it clear to Paul to set Timothy apart for the office of elder. Now, do we have any precedent for that? Yes, we do. Acts chapter 13. Now, if you remember this, this again is in the time of the Apostles in the early church Moving into the time of the church age, we're in that transition period, Acts chapter 13 verse 1, here's what it says. Churches in Antioch, robust church, things are going on, the Lord's at work there, and there were at Antioch in the church, it says, that was there, prophets and teachers, precisely what Ephesians just got through telling us, he was going to give those to the church, he's starting to give them. Barnabas and Simeon, who, were called, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, mark this, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. And that's a very good illustration of perhaps what Paul is recalling for Timothy, a prophetic utterance. What was that? Well, in the church there were prophets. And there were teachers, and the Lord in his sovereignty allowed them to understand very clearly in this transition time that Saul and Barnabas were going to have a pretty important work to do, set them aside, and send them out. Now, would they have done that by themselves? I'm not sure. But because the Lord called them, and then obviously, because we understand, equipped them to do what they needed to do, he pulled them out and sent them out, and churches were established. So there was this direct revelation to the church in Antioch that Barnabas and Saul were to be set apart for ministry. And so I think it appears reasonable as we think about our passage, we're still in this transitional period, to think that Timothy went through the same kind of situation there when Paul met him in Acts chapter 16. And perhaps he understood that there was a prophetic utterance to someone who said, this is the man. And maybe he didn't know that was the case. And Paul just took him along and began to disciple him and, and introduce him to ministry and send him to Corinth and, and leave him in Ephesus. You know, we don't know. Paul's reminding him, though. And, and very likely the church came together and the Spirit of God spoke through one of the prophets, a, a direct prophecy, a direct revelation, saying, this man has the gifting. This man is the one I'm choosing. And so he had this subjective confirmation And the eternal gift, internal gift, and the desire in his heart. And he had the objective confirmation then, what? That the voice of God spoke directly in a prophecy that this is what he was to do. Now, is that normative for today? And what's the answer to that? It is not. Why? Because in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we have very clearly stated how that eldership is supposed to go. The Holy Spirit gives a desire and an aspiration they conform to the requirements and an overwhelming desire to lead the church. And we're going to see later, other elders are going to recognize that and put their hands on him and send him out. But here in the transition period, we have a little bit different things going on here. This is not normal for today. And beloved, we don't pattern the church on what happened in the book of Acts This is where people get into big trouble. They don't understand what's going on. They don't understand they're transitioning from an Old Testament to a New Testament. They don't understand they're transitioning from prophets and then apostles and now to elders and teachers and the work of faith and love in the church. And so Acts lets us know how the church was established with signs to verify the message and the messenger. Why? Because this was new. And he wanted to make sure the church understood. This is what I want you to do. And what they're saying is what I want you to hear. And how do I know? How will they know that? They'll do signs that verify it. Okay? No written New Testament, no word in place for them to verify. It was the Lord verifying what's going on. Verifying the message, verifying the messenger, verifying what was happening in the church. And you get in trouble when you begin to think, okay, what happened in the book of Acts? That has to be happening today. That does not have to be happening today. The church is in its infantile state, and the Lord is bringing it along to maturity. And as he does that, those those confirmations with signs pass away. And later in Paul's ministry, he's talking about spiritual gifts. He doesn't mention any of them. Why? Because we've moved away from them and into this time of faith, hope, and love, right? And verified by the ministry of the word of god through those who wrote it verified through the holy spirit's work in individual people seeing the church grow conversions happen all that all these things are verified now Let's see and what happens so the acts of the apostles is just to let us know how the church was established it's not it's not the direction for the church today when we get to the epistles that instructs the church how she is to function and the pastoral letters tell us this is what the church looks like now and this is how elders are called and this is what they have to look like so this is extraordinary but this is important to look at so we can see the difference between what goes on today and what went on then. And, and, and this is the apostolic era moving into the church age, as we said, the signs are ceasing by themselves just like 1 Corinthians 13 said they would and, and today God affirms the desire and He affirms the affirmation but not by direct revelation. And remember, the letter to the Ephesians wasn't written yet and the letter to Timothy and Titus weren't written yet. We didn't have all those other things. The Lord is establishing His men in the church. And Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.22, he says, as, as he begins to establish how this will be propagated in the church, he says, don't lay hands on anyone too hastily. So we just got through talking about Paul said, listen, you had hands laid on you. Here he says, don't lay hands on anyone too hastily. In other words, you're, you're going to have to put some people in leadership positions in this church because we know Paul in, in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy kicked some of them out. And so some are going to have to be replaced. And so he says, don't lay hands on anyone too quickly. Take some time. If it's a guy who looks like he aspires and desires the office, make sure that it's good. And thereby, he says, if you put your hands on too quickly, you're going to share responsibility for the sins of others. And so keep yourself free from sin. And then verse 24, he says, the sins of some men are quite evident going along before them to judgment and their sins follow after. Others, their sins follow after. Likewise, also deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. What's the summary of that? Just this. Take your time with those you're appointing. We don't have the apostles saying with the Holy Spirit, in a prophetic voice, this is the guy. We have to look at the desire. We have to look at the aspirations. We have to compare that with the requirements that we see in the New Testament. And then we can say, okay, this appears to be the guy. And we want to take a long time because sometimes sins come along afterwards. He's, he's involved in a bunch of things that would disqualify him, but we don't know yet because we have to take some time. And other times, they're right there and, and we can say, okay, this can't be the person because he's not qualified according to First Timothy chapter 3, you see? And so as I told you before, um, just a couple of weeks ago, I got the privilege of going uh, back to a uh, church that I pastored for quite a few years and to be participate in a service like this. Uh, with a guy that I'd hired to be my student pastor 20 years ago. And what a joy that was to see him come up there, and we're going to see that in just a minute, see them come up here and be able to affirm we're not laying on hands too quickly. He's been examined at length, and this is a mature church up in New York, and they can see whether or not he has the gifting, and they know whether or not he's qualified or not. And so it was just really a matter of academics. We We loved him and put our hands on him, but we knew he had the gifting, and he obviously had had represented himself very well before the church. So this is still going on, and I'm looking forward to tell you more about that as we get into it. But here's the thing. Timothy would be able to recognize the calling and after some time examine the candidate because some things that may disqualify him haven't had enough time to show up. He didn't have the Holy Spirit saying, this is the guy. He had to take a look hard himself and have wisdom, okay? Paul basically says the same thing in Titus chapter 1 verse 5. He says, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains, here it is, and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Just like he says to Timothy, you're going to have to put some guys in place, take your time with them, make sure you examine them closely, make sure all those things are in place that I told you. Same with Titus. You're going to be putting some elders in place, but you're going to have to examine them because the Holy Spirit's not going to tell you this is the guy. Now, in Acts chapter 14, and this is a great, uh, it's a great uh, addition to what we just looked at. This is shortly after Paul and Barnabas have been called by the Holy Spirit. They're preaching the gospel from city to city, making disciples, seeing many come to faith, and they're in Derby and, and uh, doing this. And after Paul was nearly stoned to death, you remember, or perhaps to death. Because we see in 1 Corinthians 15 that he got to go up to the third heaven. Maybe this was when that happened, I don't know. But anyway, he comes back to life, goes back in the city and leaves. But in verse 21 it says, After they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So they came back, strengthening the souls souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of god and i guess that was pretty obvious and paul still has marks with the stones on his face and his body and whatever through many tribulations we're going to get into the kingdom so don't be surprised at how i look and so and then it says this in verse uh, 23 When they had appointed elders for them in every church, they prayed with fasting and committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That's just so great, isn't it? So here's Paul, he's coming back, and they're recognizing then people who are there, and now it's not the Holy Spirit saying, set this guy aside, it's them examining these guys, the church is established already, these guys are well known, and so now we're going to put them in their position. And so... It's important you can read the rest of that there on your own. So, the time of the apostles, the time of the miracles and the sign gifts, it's coming to a close. And and mark it the elders are appointed directly by the apostles or as a result of the apostles' instructions, like to Titus and to Timothy. This is what it's going to need to look like. And an objective and observable character traits, along with the gifting, able to teach and not able to be called out and all the things we looked at or in any areas indicating godliness. It's one standard for godliness, but the guy in the pulpit has to model it. There's no, there's no option for him not to be where he needs to be, otherwise he's disqualified. And that's the standard, though. His standard is the standard for everyone. So elders are, are be, able to be put into place as a result of the apostles' teaching. So understanding that context, then, When Paul writes to Timothy as he does, he says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. He's saying, Timothy, you were gifted for this. That's the subjective part. Timothy's not acting on faith, so he's like, yeah, I thought I was, but maybe I'm not. And and like every other believer is gifted to do ministry, but Timothy has the gifts that fit the ministry. You have the gifts that are going to be able to make you successful. This is what the church needs. And so in 2 Timothy 4.2, he tells them, preach the word, which means he has the gift of teaching. He has to be apt to teach, 1 Timothy 3. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and great instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate from themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. right? Even in the first century, people are going to say, I don't want to be equipped for works of service. I don't want to do the work of an evangelist. I would rather not do the hard work and run the race to, to get the prize. I'd rather be affirmed, and I want to go and get my ears tickled. It was that way in the first century. It's certainly that way now. And guess what? There'll be plenty of guys who'll say, I'll do that for you. They accumulate from themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Lots of guys will tickle your ears. They'll make you feel good about yourself. They'll affirm you and and say, hey, you know, everything's good, and here's, here's five things for a better life or whatever, and not do what they're supposed to do. But you, he says, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Listen. Do you want to tell people that? You want to say, come to, faith, come to faith in Christ and endure hardship and be sober in all things and self-controlled. How many are you going to get to follow you after that? A small amount, okay? Christ's going to make your life better. Jesus loves you and wants to be your friend. Then you get plenty of people coming. Right? No discipleship, no cost, no taking up your cross. But if, you are, if you're real about it, see, if you're real about it, people will go and find somebody who's going to make them feel good. But he says to Timothy, don't worry about that. Just do the work you're supposed to do. You've been gifted to do it. See, and you can see where the gifts are. He's been placed in this position. He wouldn't tell him preach the word and do it consistently if he didn't have that gifting. And that's what the church is missing. And then he says this in 1 Timothy 4.16. He says, he says um, pay, close, pay, pay close attention to yourself, market, and your teaching. Close attention to both. Timothy's gift was a gift for the direct propagation of the word of God. That's why the Lord is very clear in commanding him through Paul, teach the word, preach the word, command and teach, command and exhort, and he says it over and over and over again. Why? Because he's gifted that way. It's blending together too in that package that he gave Timothy with discernment and knowledge and wisdom so that he can make clear the passage, and then he can apply the passage in wisdom so people can go away saying, I'm going to do that now, or I'm not going to do that anymore, okay, that's what that means, and that's how that applies to me, see. And so that explains then for us, 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. How? Accurately handling the word of truth. That is your main job, Timothy. So if you don't want to be ashamed, then accurately handle the word because that's what you're put there to do. And no doubt that's likely what the Holy Spirit said. Uh, you know, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance. You know, probably said that very thing. You're going to preach the word. You're going you're to have the gift of understanding the word and making it clear. And perhaps that gift was dormant for a while in Timothy. Perhaps he just not acted on it in in a lack of faith. Perhaps he needed to grow a little bit. Who knows? But Paul's calling him back here, and I think we can understand that. And, and so we can understand the first two parts. Don't neglect number one, the spiritual gift within you. That's the subjective part. And then number two, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance, that's an objective part. The Holy Spirit actually said, this guy's the one, take him. But accompanying that subjective and the objective was another objective thing Timothy could remember and should remember, and Paul calls him to remember, to knuckle down and do what the Holy Spirit's enabled him to do, and that was the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And so again, so we can make clear what spiritual gifts are, we can make clear what what was that prophetic utterance. Now what's this laying on of the hands of the presbytery? So here, beloved, just look at it this way. This is the church confirmation. This is moving from the apostolic era and moving into the church era, and what's happening? It's a comprehensive affirmation. At At some point, perhaps, in Acts 16, when everyone is in the assembly uh, affirming that he's a godly man, maybe that happened, you know, as we saw in Acts 16.1, he comes to Derby, he comes to Lystra, he sees the disciple Timothy, uh, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, father's a Greek market, he was, it says, well spoken of by the brethren. So when we see the word brethren, who are we talking about in the Word of God? We're talking about other believers, right? We're talking about those who are attending church with one another. That's how that always looks. There's, there's no free-floating free Christians in the New Testament. That's right? foreign. Oh, I just I, I worship God out in the woods or whatever. Well, that's great, but you're not fulfilling any of the one another's, and you're not doing anything that the Lord has said the church is supposed to do. So you're just kind of redefining Christianity so you can just kind of do what you want. That's, that's foreign to the New Testament. So he says, listen, he was well-spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium, which means that Timothy was well-involved with the church. They understood who he was. They'd seen him operate, and he was well-spoken of. So these fellow believers, so he's re, Paul's revisiting the church as we saw. They affirmed Timothy's character, and perhaps that's when they laid hands on him. At some point it happened, right? We don't know exactly what it happened, but just Paul says it did happen. A prophetic utterance happened, you were given a gift, and we laid hands on you. So all that happened, we can see it in, in, in the letter. So maybe it happened here, and, and that word presbytery, uh, presbyterion, a derivative of the word elder, this is a group of what? elders. So it tells you then the church is getting mature. There are multiple elders at work in each church. They're coming together, they recognize Timothy has the gifting, and so they're there. And Paul's a part of that, and so he remembers it. And so in 2 Timothy 1.6 he can say, for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This is not some new gift, it's not some second work of the Spirit. This is what was given to you at salvation When the Lord called you into ministry, he equipped you to do this job, and this is the gift you need to get going with. And so, and this is the way it still goes. There is is this gifting, and then there's this affirmation, uh, the desire and the aspiration to do what they're supposed to do, and a collected assembly of spiritual leaders who put their hands on an individual who's been tested over time and who has the desire and he has the aspiration, and the church through the elders put their hands on him and confirm he is a qualified man. That still happens today. As I said, it happened a couple of weeks ago up in New York. And if you've been here long enough, you know when our missionaries go out, what do we do? We walk out there as leadership and everyone else puts their hands on them. And what do we do? We pray over them. We confirm this person, these people have the gifting they need to go out and do what they need to do. And it just affirms them, doesn't it? And we're, we're, we're part of it. We're invested. Very common picture. That laying on of hands, all throughout the Word of God, if you just look at laying on of hands uh, and just do a word search and just look all through the Old and New Testament, and I love this, even in the Old Testament, when you laid your hands on the sin offering that was going to be released into the wilderness, did you transfer your sins to them? No. There's no way for that to happen, right? The blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. You're not getting rid of your sin by putting it on the head of a goat. But what were you doing? You are affirming what the Lord had said, you are affirming that this is what He wants, and you are participating in it, right? That laying on physically of hands is very, very important. It illustrates a personal connection, a responsibility, if you will, of discerning what the Lord wants. And so it's here too. And Paul writes to Timothy and says, you know, hey, we were there when all this went on. I know you feel like you can't do it and I know you feel like you don't want to be there and I know you feel like they don't want you there and they probably don't and they don't want to listen to what you have to say. But listen, you're functioning in the flesh. You're not going to be able to force them by power of personality to change, but you will be able to do what you need to do and it's not your responsibility that they for sure follow you because we know Ephesus didn't. That Timothy's impact at Ephesus was very short-lived, if we understand from Revelation chapter 3, that he says to Ephesus, you've left your first love, and if you don't return to it, I'm going to come and take away your lampstand. And we know that's precisely what happened. And so it's not your responsibility then as the leader in the church that they absolutely follow you. You can't make them, but you can discharge the Word of God and preach the Word and study and show yourself approved and all the things you're supposed to do, and whatever they do with it, see, is what they do with it. But you've been faithful, see. And sometimes he builds the church, and sometimes he thins it out. And sometimes they go find people they want to listen to who will tickle their ears. But what, you ha- what do you have left? True believers who are going to grow and be equipped for works of service. And, and what does he say about some of the churches in, in Revelation? There's, there's a little door, and nobody can close it, and you can go through it because you've been faithful in everything, right? So we were there, he says to Timothy, when the Holy Spirit, by revelation, through prophecy, he confirmed your ministry and said, this is the guy, and he has the gifting." And we put our hands on you. You forget that? He goes, stir that up. So sum up all this. Paul reminds Timothy to remember a moment in the past, somewhere with Paul in his travels, when Timothy desired the office of the elder, and Paul confirmed that he desired a good thing. And we saw from 1 Timothy 3.1, it was a trustworthy statement. Paul confirmed it. And, and Paul, no doubt, confirmed both those desires and, and explained it to Timothy, what he was really desiring to do. And he alludes to it again in 2 Timothy 1.7, He laid my hands on you because God's not given us a spirit of timidity but of power and love and of discipline. You're not supposed to be afraid. He's given you power and love and a sound mind to do the job. And then he prayed over him, of course, and recounted the Lord's commands for those who lead and the blessings that are a part of that calling. That's what we did just two weeks ago. We recounted what the Lord expects from you, and we counted what we see in you. We're just affirming that you had those gifts and Paul did that with Timothy, and the gifting he would see manifested in his life, and with all that we have read, certainly the gift of teaching would empower the ministry of the teaching. And we saw a few months ago, First 1 Timothy 1.18, he says, this I command and entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with, mark this, prophecies previously made concerning you. He's referring to it again. We were there when all this happened. I remind you that uh, the Lord spoke directly about this, concerning you, and by them you fight the good fight, keep the faith a good conscience which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. You don't want to end up like them, Timothy. Okay? You want to operate inside your gift set. No matter how hard it is, you can't bail out. You have a gift, a direct call from the Lord, a confirmation from the church, and you're there because of all these spiritual dynamics. So remember this, and now fulfill it, and don't neglect it, and carry it out to the very end. Now, just in our time remaining, I want to remind you a couple things. Paul exemplified that, didn't he? He wasn't sitting in some place of luxury. He wasn't some, uh, you know, um, important pastor in his, in, his, in his lush office. You know, we don't, we don't need any more famous pastors. You know what we need? We need faithful ones. Yeah, you don't need to be, you know, you don't need to be a rock star, okay? If you think about Paul's life, this is, this is success from God's perspective. You know, Timothy was with him in Acts 20. When he spoke to the elders of the church in Ephesus, no doubt. Do you remember what he said? Now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course. And the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says, I'm not worried about my life. I'm not worried about bonds. I'm not worried about imprisonments. I'm not worried about the plots from the Jews. I have to finish my ministry. And this is where the Lord is taking me. He says to the church in Ephesus, and this is so interesting... When you think about the future of the church that we just looked at just a minute ago, it started out so well with Paul as the pastor for three years, with Timothy there, and and uh, he, he warns them later in Acts 20, and I didn't read it, but you can, about how wicked men are going to arise even from the flock and lead you astray. It's precisely what Timothy's dealing with now uh, in our letter in, Ephes- in uh, 1 Timothy 4. But it's just so sad and so sobering, and it's a warning really to every church, but certainly to Ephesus. But here he says, To the church in Ephesus, I love this. He says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. And mark the emphasis having done everything to stand firm. Let me ask you a question Are you doing everything to stand firm? I think that's a legitimate question to ask. Right? If, if you're going to start your ministry that way, I want you to do everything to stand firm. If you're saying that to someone, you certainly are going to have to be doing that yourself, right? And then you'll expect everyone to do it, because this is precisely Paul's admonition to the church, and we're still in the church age. Are you doing everything to stand firm? That's pretty convicting, isn't it? It's not some pass-fail, right? It doesn't really count against your record kind of thing, you know, this life. No, having done everything to stand. Or as he told Timothy, You're there because of all these spiritual dynamics. Now fulfill it. Don't neglect it. Carry it out to the very end. You can't sit this one out. Having done all to stand. Verse 14. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, verse 16, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. There's Paul. That's Paul who's telling Timothy, listen, stir up the gift. Listen, don't sit this one out. You've been empowered. You have subjectively a gift. And objectively, the Holy Spirit said it was you and we put our hands on you. You know, you're not not given the spirit of timidity, of fear. Work hard. He's not some contemporary pastor sitting back in, in his plush office saying, hey, go do it. Paul's right in the middle of it. And how about if you tell people, come to faith, you'll have to carry your shield of faith because you're immediately going to be a target and you'll have to extinguish all the fire arrows shot at you from the evil one. How how do you think that's going to go over most megachurches? Hey, better get behind your shield of faith because now you're a target. No, it's like the Lord wants to make your life great and you get your best life now and you know, the Lord wants to bless you and put everything on you and, and give you all the prosperity you want. See, you don't get any of this. This is Paul telling Timothy, work hard, I'm working hard. And pray and be on the alert and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains and in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I'm in chains but who cares about that? Pray that I'll do everything I can that can be done in the power of the Spirit in the full armor of God as I ought to do. Here's the thing. Do you pray for your children that way? that they'll do everything they can to stand, that they'll be fully armed for those things, that they'll pray constantly and be on the alert. Do you pray for your children that way? Listen, pray for me any time you want with that, okay? That I'll be bold to give the gospel out as I should. Any time you want. Pray for, your, just pray for your spouse when they leave during, in the morning to go wherever they go. Do you pray that they'll have, do everything to stand for your godly friends? I mean, these, these, are prayer, these are prayer models, beloved. This is, this is what we pray for with the church. If the church is not asleep, it's awake and it's working and it's in battle and it's got full armor on and we want to do all there is we can do to stand. Paul says, My biggest fear isn't, and my biggest fear is that I won't be affirmed and fulfilled, right? That's my biggest fear. Nobody will affirm me. Nobody's going to pat me on the back and say, Good job, Paul. That's my biggest fear. Does Paul say that? No. He doesn't care whether he's affirmed, he doesn't care whether somebody recognizes he did a good job. He labored 18 months at Corinth. They hated him the whole time. He had to introduce himself every time he came back, give a letter of reference. They didn't listen to a single thing he said. So frustrated with it, he sends Timothy. He says, Hey, please don't abuse Timothy when he's there and don't make him feel afraid. That tells you a lot about the ministry that went on when Paul was there. He says, I asked Paulus to go back. He was in no, in no means did he want to go back at this time. No kidding. Who wants to go back to that? See, this is Paul telling Timothy, Paul's in a place of struggle. My biggest fear is not that I won't be affirmed or fulfilled, my biggest fear is that I'm going to get cast away after I preach to someone else, right? That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 9. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a feller partaker of it. Do you not know those who run the race? All run, but only one receives the prize. Run in a way that you may win. He says, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. People who compete in worldly games and in, and in competition understand what it takes to bring your body to the point where you can perform at the highest level. He goes, take that and transfer straight to your life in Christ. Therefore, he says, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air But I discipline my body and I make it my slave. Why? So that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He wasn't worried about whether he was affirmed. He wanted to make sure that he didn't do anything wrong. My biggest fear is that in preaching to others, I myself will be disqualified. That's my biggest fear. That having done all, I won't stand. See? Having done all, I won't stand. That's a whole different mindset than the modern Christian church. I'm crucified with Christ, therefore and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Could I say that we are diametrically opposite of that most of the time in the modern church? I'm crucified with Christ, and I don't live anymore. But we're mostly concerned about ourselves. And so it's not true. We can say it, but it's not true. Here Paul's just calling Timothy back. Don't be afraid. Do the work of the ministry. He's calling us back. Don't be afraid. Do the work of the ministry. You've been equipped. Plug yourself in. Don't sit this one out. He says to Timothy, you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come and i fought the good fight and i finished the course and I've kept the faith. You know, beloved, he said in 1 Timothy um, if I don't come to you, do this until I come. I'd like to come to you soon, but in case I don't, here's what you need to do in the church. Guess what? He didn't get back. He already knew it wasn't going to happen. We get to 2 Timothy. He says, in the future there is a laid up for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, market beloved, but also to all who have loved his appearing. How do you love his appearing? Is it a warm, fuzzy feeling you have in your heart you can't wait for Christ to come and catch away the church? not in no. How do I love his appearing? I run as one who wants to get the prize. I box as one not beating the air. I discipline my body and make it my slave. I put on the full armor of God so that I may be able to stand and having done all to stand. You love Christ appearing when you're found what? Committed to what you're supposed to be doing. That's when you really love his appearing. That's when it's clear to you and to everyone else they really love his appearing. Fulfill your ministry, he says. Operate inside your spiritual gifts to minister Jesus and other, to, to others in the church. You know, you're just as vital, beloved, to each other as, as Overton and Casper Zach were. God's ordered his church that way. You have gifting. It's just as important as anyone else's gifting. And when you plug in, you're doing precisely what you're supposed to do. And as we said last time, you know, you live your life that way, beloved. You live your life, your whole life that way, just giving yourself away for the gospel. When you come to the end of it, you'll be like Paul. You won't ever think that you lived your life and you're not sure you made any difference. You'll know for sure you did. You give the gospel out regularly. You make sure that's part of your fabric of your life. You live in such a way that you reign your life in and so Christ looks marvelous to other people. You work hard at your job and adorn the gospel. All those things, all those things show you love is appearing and then the crown is reserved for you, see? And we're going to, next week, Lord willing, we're out of time, so next week, which is just the last stop in this chapter, success from God's perspective, is going to be connected to diligence. It's wrapped up in diligence, last two verses of chapter 4. Lord willing, we're going to see that next time we're together and wrap up our teaching in this chapter, all right? Let's be, uh, let's pray and be dismissed in a word of prayer, if you would um, bow with me. Lord, we thank you today for an opportunity to be together and be in your word. We're very grateful for It's resonating in us. We were made for it. We were made for your word. We starve without it, Lord. And I pray that you'll continue to guide our people, which I know you are, to be in the word each day so that when we just come together as a corporate body, we're just doing together what we've been doing all through the week, feeding on the word of God, asking, uh, what can I do? What does it mean? What does it say? What does it mean by what it says? How does this apply? And then growing. That's how we grow. And that's how we become sanctified grow in as a disciple and father as we take that great commission out we know it's to preach the gospel and then teaching them to observe everything that jesus commanded so we have a job to uh, do to teaching too and discipling propagating the word lord i pray that you'll prompt our hearts to these things and bring them to our remembrance help us to understand how important it is if it's if spiritual gifts weren't important then early on in the church the holy spirit wouldn't be saying they are and picking guys out. Now we know it's just as important, but now we do it in a way the Lord has, that you've commanded us and, and Christ has made clear. And so, Father, all these things we uh, give you thanks. We thank you for the reminder. We also pray again for Israel for peace to, to come there. And we give all your praise for all of this. And it's in Jesus' name and for his sake that we pray, and all God's people said together. Amen.